Good morning. I'm very happy to be with you. I feel like I've been given the best of both worlds because I was at the retreat until last night. I came back to Indianapolis last night. I didn't want to risk it this morning. Had a great time reconnecting with people that I know and meeting new people. So it was a great time. So I'm glad I've been able to do both, to be with you this morning as well as um, at the retreat. Nothing like the Brown County State Park. I want to look this morning at the book of James. James is the end of the Old Testament, right after the book of Hebrews. And one thing I've discovered in my own life, personally, and then as I work with people, is that we oftentimes get ourselves in trouble if we just read a passage and we don't understand something about the context. Who was who the writer? Who was the author that God inspired? Who were the original recipients? So I'd like to look at the first four uh, verses of the first chapter of the book of James this morning, and we're going to spend a little time looking at context, but then also um, seeing what, it, what does it say to us? What, what can we learn? Um, I see that it's up on the screen, and then also if you want to use the Bibles you brought or the Bibles that are in the pews, please feel free to do that. So I'll go ahead and guide us in the reading, and I'm using the New International Version. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let's just briefly pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be together this morning um, corporately. Lord, to learn from your word. Lord, help us to be mindful, Lord, of you. Lord, I pray for distractions, Lord, that you would keep distractions at bay for all of us. And Lord, may we be truly grateful Lord, for what we learned this morning. In your name we pray, amen. All right, well, who's the author? Well, he introduces himself in verse 1. It's James. But what do we know about James? James was actually the brother or half-brother of Jesus. And we know from the Gospels that for a good part of his life, he wanted nothing to do with what Jesus was teaching. He thought it was foo-foo. He thought it didn't make sense. And actually, it's recorded in the Gospels that he mocked Jesus. Well, somewhere along the line, that changed because now he describes himself a servant of God and a servant of Christ. We know also that Jesus appeared to James and um, others of the apostles when he was resurrected. And I don't know if you know anything about the Fox's Book of Martyrs. It talks about different martyrs um, for their faith. And I saw that James 
he was martyred and he was actually cast down from the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem against his will, right? And then while he was still alive after he fell, he was beaten to death while he prayed for his own persecutors. So this was a man who knew something about suffering. Kind of gone the gamut, first from this is hogwash, what you're teaching, you know, just get away from me, to having such a vibrant faith that he prayed for his persecutors as he died. Well, what do we know about the recipients? Well, it says to the 12 tribes that are scattered among the nations. Well, the, the idea of 12 tribes, that immediately tells us that the recipients were Jewish because if we know something about Old Testament history, we know that the 12 tribes were the sons of Jacob, who was the grandson of Abraham, who God made this pact with. And um, also Acts records the martyr, the martyring, or the, the stoning of Stephen, if you remember that. And after that stoning of Stephen for his faith, immediately it tells us and that the believers were persecuted and they were scattered. So the recipients, those who were the original hearers, wasn't written down yet, so those who were the original hearers of this um, passage were living all over the Roman Empire. It says specifically in Judea and Samaria. But these are Gentile locations. And what I found particularly interesting is these Jews, they were scattered. Well, I don't know, scattered doesn't seem to mean a lot to me just thinking of the word scattered. But the idea of being scattered has to do with um, a seed sown. So this was part of God's plan so that you and I, Gentiles and non-Jews, could eventually hear the good news of Christ. The Jews kind of stuck together for a while there in Jerusalem and God used unusual circumstances very difficult circumstances to scatter them. So they weren't all together anymore, living in fear because where God scattered them, they were under Roman rule and we know how often Jesus and the disciples had to run for their lives because of the Roman rulers who weren't sympathetic to their teaching. So these recipients, have been persecuted where they are, and then where God takes them, they continue to be persecuted again. And persecuted not because of anything they had done. Now, if, if they had um, made some really poor choices, or if they had sinned, or if they had just openly rebelled against God, we could say, okay, well, maybe they deserve. It. You know, that's, that's the consequences of their actions. But that wasn't the case. They were persecuted for their faith. Alrighty, 
now that now that we know a little bit the author and we know who these recipients are let's see what he says because boy there's some pretty pretty tough it's a tough idea of what he shares with them in these verses and it says consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds that word consider I think the the RSV that I believe you use in this church uses the count it or so count it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds I was thinking about one of my favorite foods which is brownies okay so and then I'm, I'm a former teacher, elementary teacher. Okay, so count. You know, you teach kids to count. Let's say you have three apples here and you have two apples here. How many apples do you have all together? Well, one, two, three, four, five. That's the idea of you, can, you, you count or you consider. So let's say that we're at a church pitch-in, okay, and somebody brought brownies because somebody always brings brownies. And let's say on this side of the table, there's a pan of brownies. To be honest, not many of those brownies have been taken yet. And as we inspect them, we realize, ooh, they look a little dry. I don't see any nuts or coconut. They looked, ugh, kind of dry. So we're, you know, walking along the line to see what else we want to get. And we see another pan of brownies. And that pan of brownies, there's hardly any left. But we look at it and they're ooey and they're gooey and they have nuts and they even have a thin um, layer of chocolate frosting on them, okay? So if I'm going through that line, I'm going to consider, hmm, there's this pan of brownies, there's a lot left. There's this pan of brownies, the ooey gooey with the layer of chocolate on top. And considering well, what pan of brownies am I going to go for? Probably what all of us would do. We'd go to the ooey gooey chocolate, right? That's the idea of consider and count. So you kind of, you look at the facts, you put them together, and you make a decision. So James is saying consider, Let, let's put it all together, and we're going to see those facts in verses 3 and 4. But let's, let's consider, let, let's count the reality, and let's put it all together. And when we put it all together, James says, we're going to be able to consider it joy when we face trials of many kinds. Now, many kinds, it's, we're not talking about just one trial. The readers had faced trials where they lived in Jerusalem. They ran for their life to a place where they're still going to be persecuted. You, we could say they were surrounded by trials. And some of us know what that is. When things just aren't going well, and it's not particularly through any fault of our own, things just start happening. And Paul says that we can be joyful in trials. Well, if we think of joyful as, yippee, I'm going through lots of trials, you know, bring them on. That's obviously not the idea here. Rather, it's a sense of confidence and peace amidst 
whatever difficult circumstances we're facing. And that's what James tells these original uh, hearers and tells us. That we can have a sense of peace and confidence in the midst of various trials. Now, let's talk about one more thing before we start looking at these facts and figuring out why can we be joyful. Trials, just as I mentioned before, it's not trials because we have made poor choices, okay, in the context here. Now, I was trying to think, okay, so we know what the original uh, hearers, the Jews, experienced, but sometimes we have trials too, and they could be a lot of different kinds that but that we don't really have any control over and we didn't bring it on. Let's say we lose a job, not through any fault of our own, or we are bullied. Let's say we're, I don't see too many children today, but children or youth, let's say they're bullied in their schools. That's trial, That's, that's persecution. What if we're unjustly accused of something and our reputation seems to be smeared? What if we're hurrying to get someplace and there's a traffic jam? I mean, I think we could say that there's a wide variety, even though the, the original hearers, it was serious persecution for their life, we face different trials too. And sometimes they just all come together. Some may be really big, what we consider big, and some may be not what we consider not so big. All right, but let's now, let's see what these facts are in verses 3 and 4 that James gives the Jews and us to consider so that we can be joyful in trials. And verse 3 I'm going to insert the word rejoice just for redundancy. Okay, rejoice or be joyful because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Boy, how many times have I read that or heard that? I could say that I know that the testing of my faith produces perseverance but I need to be reminded over and over and over. I'm a slow learner. I think we're all slow learners. Okay? It's in the nitty-gritty of life that God uses to test us. Now, not test us to incite us to sin. God never does that. But when God provides these trials, these opportunities... We need to look at them as, okay, it's an opportunity to grow in my faith. It's something that he is lovingly allowing, providing, so I can grow in my faith. Now, because so you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Well, what's perseverance? William Barclay was a Scottish pastor, author, I think he was a professor too, and he said this, that perseverance or persistence is not a passive endurance. So I just 
wait till it gets over. So it's not a passive endurance. Rather, it's the quality that enables a person to stand on his or her feet during a storm. And as we learn to persevere, joy is developed. So perseverance is its steadfastness. There's a delay in achieving our, the outcome that we want. It's not seeing the end result. It's not getting over the pain right away as we would like to. I notice that some of the different versions of the Bible use uh, persistence. Some use patience. The one I like the best is tenacity. Perseverance is tenacity. So for these Jews and for us, it's in struggling against this difficulty, this opposition, that this spiritual stamina or tenacity is developed. However, it can't be, it won't be developed unless we are willing to trust what God's doing. And we will get to that idea of trust in just a few minutes, but I wanted to look at the last verse first. Um, verse 4. And then let this perseverance that is being developed through the trial, let it finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. All right, so I think about this and think, so does that mean then that I get through this trial and then everything's going to be smooth sailing? I'm going to be this very mature, perfect person? Well, obviously not, because the Bible never indicates, and it indicates quite the opposite, it never indicates that in this life we're going to become complete or perfect. Because we know that even though we place so much emphasis on this life because this is what we know, that those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, this is just a passing through until we live with him forever. And then we will be perfect in him. So the idea then, let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's not perfection. It's the idea of progressive maturity, that through these trials, I progressively grow to be like my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, I may choose happiness. I mean, who doesn't want to be happy, happy, right? But the truth is that we are formed through the difficulties of life. And we need to persevere. And then as we do, God produces just this calm, this patience, even in the midst of the, the difficulties that we face. I've experienced this incredible calm in the midst of the storm, and I'm sure that many of you have too. But as I mentioned earlier, I wanna now talk a little bit about this idea of trust. We have a choice. We can face a trial and just basically, God, you don't know what you're doing, so 
I'm going to take this in my hands and I'm going to handle it how I think it should be handled. Okay? That's not trust. But when we allow God to handle our situations of life and then we participate with him, we don't, we don't run and then expect that God's going to catch up with us. We say, I trust you. You show me what to do. I'll move as you tell me to move. There is a book that a, a friend of mine gave me in 2011. And I want to tell you a little bit about this book and a little bit about um, one of my journeys that was not easy but produced a greater degree of trust in me. And this is the inscription. It says, Kathy, praying that you can trust him throughout this journey and that others will see Christ in you. Love, Benita, January 2011. Well, in 2010, I was in Peru, and I still do live in Peru, by the way. I, I'm here until November, um, and then I go back to Peru. But I wasn't feeling really well, and of course, I went to doctors, and they didn't seem to be able to find much. Actually made a wrong diagnosis. And I just decided, I've got family here. Maybe I need to come and figure out what's going on. And the long and the short of it is um, found out that I had an unusual form of cancer. It's called carcinoid cancer. And it was in the context of that time of this friend, Benita, just reaching out to me, befriending me, encouraging me, that she gave me this book. And I just finished rereading it again, so it's fresh in my mind. But I remember over the next several months after surgeries and recovering and, you know, spending a lot of time in the lazy boy and trying to figure out, okay, so, so what does this mean long-term for me? Can I continue to live overseas? How long am I going to live? You know, all those kinds of things that go through your mind. And I wanted to read something that the author Jerry Bridges says. <clears throat> he says, in the arena of adversity, Scripture teaches us three essential truths about God, truths that we must believe if we're to trust him in adversity. And they are, God is completely sovereign, he's infinite in wisdom, and he is perfect in love. And then Bridges goes on to say, someone has expressed these three truths as they relate to us in this way. God in his love always wills what is best for us. In his wisdom, he always knows what is best. And in his sovereignty, he has the power to bring this best about. So I've, as I've been rereading this book again over the past maybe two months, been thinking more and more, okay, God is completely sovereign. He's infinitely wise, wiser than me, a lot wiser than me. And he's perfect in love. 
that's been an encouragement to me as I, um, even now, just wrestle with different things. Not health things, but just, just wrestle with different things that are part of life. So, so Bridges premises that if we want to trust God, regardless of our circumstances, we have to believe that he's completely sovereign, he's infinitely wise, and he's perfectly loving. Now, I want to look at three scriptures this morning that we can, there obviously are many, but I want to look at three scriptures this morning that have been an encouragement to me in the past several years because in order to trust, if I don't know, or the degree to which I know this sovereign, wise, and loving God I can trust him, I can deal with the adversity, God develops perseverance, and then I become joyful. So I want to look at three scriptures this morning. The first one is Proverbs 18.10. Now, you'll see on the screen, well, on both sides, this was not copied out of Bible Gateway or, you know, copied off the internet and put on there. Where does it come from? Actually, I have a, this is in my kitchen in Peru. I have a little chalkboard. And when I read this, this passage, Proverbs 18.10, it just touched me and I thought, I need to remember this. So I wrote it on my chalkboard and I put it in the kitchen and especially ladies, we know how often we're in the kitchen doing something. So I see it all the time. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. I was thinking this morning about when I was a girl, I don't know how old I was, but it, it, we lived on the south side of Indianapolis. And I remember once in our neighborhood, I was riding my bike. And there was this man in a car. I kind of reminded me of kind of an old, greasy-looking character that isn't, you know, looking out for my best. And he's trying, he pulls up next to me, and he's trying to talk to me. Well, something in my mind said, Kathy, you need to get out of here. So I, you know, I was on my bike, so I can't say I walked around, but I biked as fast as I could, and I went to, without even thinking, I went to my strong tower. Where was my strong tower? It's where I felt most safe. Home, exactly right. Okay? The name of the Lord, he's a strong tower. Let's not take things in our own hands. Let's run to him. We'll be safe. The second passage that I want to share, I, these are directly from however they copy them from the internet. The second one is um, Psalm 56, 3 and 4. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God, I trust, and I'm not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? For those of you who are um, parents of, well, maybe teenagers now, Steve Green, the singer Steve Green, had he put some um, Bible songs to 
music. And I remember having this, well, as an adult working with children, so it wasn't that long that I was listening to it for my benefit. But I'm actually gonna sing this song, and we'll sing, see if you remember. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. I will trust in you. I will trust in you. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. Isn't that a great little song? When I'm afraid, I choose to put my trust in you. And I praise you. Isn't that interesting how trust and praise goes together? We don't tend to think necessarily of that, but trust and praise go together. And then the last one is Psalm 13. David um, is the author. Actually, David was the author of what we just saw, When I'm Afraid I Will Trust in You. And he wrote this when the ferocious Philistines were after him and it actually captured him. All right. Now, Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. David, especially we see in those first two verses, David was right there. God, I'm here. Where are you? He didn't act like everything was hunky-dory and fine. Very open and honest with God. But then we see that choice regardless of the circumstances. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will sing. The Lord's praise, why? Because he's been good to me. So yes, we do have a choice in how we'll respond in the midst of adversity and the different trials that we face. But let us choose to trust this God who is completely sovereign, infinitely wise, and perfectly loving. And like David, let us choose to use the word of God, talking in prayer with him, to produce this joy, regardless of our circumstances. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you that all over scripture, Lord, we see your sovereignty, we see your wisdom, we see your love. Lord, thank you that there is no randomness in your nature. You control every aspect of your world, which includes our lives. And therefore, we can trust you. Father, use your word to build perseverance, to build stamina, tenacity in us. 
so that we may experience the joy that only you can give. In Jesus' name, amen.